lovely listener. Welcome to Words in Progress, an ongoing conversation between two people who write for a living and for pleasure. Every week we meet up to chat about what we've learned and share our top tips. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Christine Cawthorne and I run a company called Cruxstar. And I'm Robert Mills, founder of Fourth Wall Content. We're currently working together on a website project where I'm working as a content designer and Christine is doing the content strategy. In this series, we'll talk through the challenges that crop up and how we get through them. Hello, and welcome back to the Words in Progress podcast. It's episode six. And yet again, I am joined by the always wonderful Christine. Hello to you, dear friend. Hello, Rob. How are you today? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm all the better for seeing you because you are also always wonderful. Thank you very much. I didn't know you were going to say that. That was not scripted or planned. Like the entire episode. That's true. (laughs) I'm really excited for this podcast. We've got something a little bit different lined up for you today, lovely listener. We are going to do a bit more of a a Q&A. I shall be asking Rob some questions about a content design technique that he did during the last sprint, which is called trio writing. So you might have heard of pair writing which is where a content designer works with normally a subject matter expert and they work together on a piece of content at the same time. But Rob has taken it a step further and he's going to tell us all about it. So Rob, tell us a bit about trio writing. What what is it? It's a great question to start this special episode with. So trio writing is three people writing together. And in this case, it was myself as the content designer, a user researcher, and a translator. So it came about because uh, I'd created the content, as we've talked about in previous episodes, and that was tested. And it was shared with subject experts and stakeholders internally as well. And I wrote it in English, and it was translated into Welsh. During the testing, it was clear that some of the phrasing in English just didn't quite make sense in Welsh. Uh, It didn't quite translate as well as it could have. And that was really insightful. There was still lots of really valuable feedback on the Welsh version, what was working well, what made sense, feedback on the tone and the structure. But the the user researcher who is fantastic had, had noted all the sticking points with the content in Welsh. And actually, and some of the testing had to go between the two versions because when they read the Welsh version, they were like, I'm not sure what that means. So it referred back to the English version to kind of get some clarification. Anyway, the kind of outcome of that is that we really wanted to rethink how we approached the creation of both versions of the content in both languages. And we wanted to give the Welsh version just as much consideration because it's still a user experience happening and it's still there's still users with needs and we wanted the content to support those journeys. And just by doing the English and then kind of getting it translated and leaving it there, it wasn't providing as good a user experience to the Welsh readers and the Welsh users and the users where Welsh was their first language. Working with content uh, in different languages isn't something I'm as experienced in. So it was a real eye-opener for me. Sounds amazing. So tell us, walk us through the setup. How did you organise yourselves to work together? The project lead on the client side made the introductions on the email. And it was really interesting because the translator... I've never been involved in anything like this before. You know, I've done pair writing, but not trio writing. And so it was new to all of us in different ways. But what was interesting about bringing the three of us together is that 
we all had a really clear role within the process, which allowed it to, to work effectively. And we all brought different knowledge to it. So I was coming at it from, like, I understood the content inside and out because I had created it. And I was bringing the content design principles and thinking and user-centered design principles and thinking to the process. The user researcher understood all the user pain points and motivations and needs. And again, there was a crossover in knowledge. You know, I understood the user needs to a degree and the user researcher understood stakeholder needs and, and thinking behind the content because we'd had a separate session on that. So there was crossovers, but we still had our own main areas that we were bringing to the process. And then the translator, of course, was able to speak both languages fluently. And actually, again, more crossover, the user researcher could speak both languages. So it's very, we are very fortunate to have so much skill and knowledge in that small group. And plus, the translator had also worked um, within the industry that we were writing about. And so actually had some subject expertise there around particular vocabulary as well. So all of that together just meant that it really... Um, it really allowed us to think about both versions of the content with all of those hats on. A real dream team. Such a dream team. And then to actually answer your question, in terms of the setup, we jumped onto a video call and I shared my screen. And so I had two docs on screen. One was the English version and one was a blank doc. So what I had done before we had the trio writing session, I actually refined the English version of the content based on the user testing and the feedback and some additional insights I'd gained since the content had been created from stakeholders, subject experts, because I didn't want to go to that session having to amend the content and think about the structure and what do we need. I wanted to have the English version ready. But what I did do at the start of the session is I talked through the English version of the content with the user researcher and the translator so that they understood the context because everything on that page was there for a reason, as in it met a user need, it directly addressed some of the feedback we'd had, it needed to be said for this reason or that reason. It was all there for a reason and for a purpose. And I thought it was important for both of them to understand the reasoning and the logic and the context and the thinking behind the updated version of the content so that when we did the Welsh version, they had all of that in mind. Otherwise, it would have felt like it was just, again, going back to the more traditional way of here's some English content, translate it. And we didn't want that. Yeah, that's quite interesting. The English version is has already been content designed. We're already on round two or even three of the iterations. Yep. And so not 100% fixed, but it's like you say, everything's got a rationale. So we're not going into should we say this or that? It's how should we say this or that? Yeah, I think that's probably a really good, small, but really important distinction. Um, not what we're saying, but how we're saying it. And so we had a we had the blank document open and the translator started writing the Welsh version there and then on screen. And we managed to get through an awful lot in a one hour session. Actually, we had an hour and a half, sorry. So it's probably half an hour up front for me to talk through the content and that's just to kind of catch up generally on the process and what we were trying to achieve, et cetera. Because it was the first time any of us had done this. And then we had an hour solid on, on writing the Welsh version. And so, you know, the translator just got straight to it and you could, you know, I could obviously see it all happening live in the doc, which is great. But again, it was very much an eye-opener for me because there were several points as the translator worked through the content where she would ask questions about the English version to get clarification on what the Welsh version needed to be. And we actually ended up changing some of the English version based on 
the creation of the Welsh version, which was really interesting. Tell me more about that. I want to know specifics. What did you change? I was hoping you'd ask. I sensed you might. <laughs> so one example is link text. And actually, some uh, one of the links was quite long. It needed to be because it needed to be descriptive. But in Welsh, that wasn't quite translating as well as the translator wanted. So we ended up changing the English to you will need to. That was at the start of a bullet list. So that actually shortened the sentence, which is good. Link text also got shortened as well, because as when it was translated into Welsh, there was a particular kind of content pattern for the start of all our links. To translate that into Welsh, it didn't quite make sense again. So we amended the English to match the Welsh which meant that the English version was shortened. And actually, it, it sounded a lot more natural by doing that. So that was really good. And there was one sentence that I ended with the words, if that's not you. And in Welsh, that would have been six words, and they would have been much longer. And we actually agreed that those words were necessary in the, in the English, because the rest of the sentence kind of said what it needed to say. So whilst it, you know, it was nice, it, didn't really, it wasn't really adding anything. And so rather than have a longer Welsh version, we agreed to take it out to the English version. So again, I felt better about that because it kind of, it made that sentence shorter, a bit more clear, a bit more succinct and a bit more direct as well. And then it was just things like, and it's not so much because of the translation, but just having somebody fresh looking at the content really helped. So the translator would ask questions like, when you say risks there, what do you mean? Do you mean like business risks or environmental risks or or, or something else? And Again, that was interesting because when you're writing content, you almost, it's hard for your biases and your kind of knowledge not to creep in and influence it. And so I had just kind of put risks in, in my mind, I knew what it meant, but in isolation, it's quite an ambiguous term. And so again, we ended up removing that altogether. Um, and as in removing that word, um, we wrote, rewrote that sentence to allow for removing the word risks, which again, became a shorter sentence. So I don't think it's always about reduction, but often that is what we do. And that was certainly the case here. And then there was one sentence where, well, there was, there were two words in the English version and in Welsh, both those words would have been the same. So that didn't work. So again, we had to change. Well, we kept it in the English because it made sense in the context, but the Welsh version wasn't translated like for like, which is a point hopefully we can get to, because that was a really interesting point as well in the process. Yeah. And I had the word find in English, and uh, the translator said in Welsh, it's not quite as definite as in English. So it could be like find as in it may be there, it may not be there. And we were on about finding like more information. So we really needed to be quite definite about that. And so the Welsh version said more instead of find. We were debating whether to change the English or not. We've kept it as find in the English version for now, but that's an ongoing conversation. Yeah, so it was it was such a valuable process. You've got a real transfer of meaning rather than just a literal translation, just these are the same words in another language. You've actually done a lot more of the thinking around what will that mean to these people in this context and the, the kind of cultural knowledge about those words as well. Yeah, because it doesn't necessarily have to be like for like. And the translator said it's more important for people to read more naturally in their own language or their first language or the preferred language than getting the content to be like for like. And actually trying to get it like for like is one of the reasons why it didn't work quite as we wanted to in the first place. And so again, that was a bit of a a really great way of it being framed for me, I think. That's something that I can kind of really hang on to and understand 
that and apply it to future work as well. So I think it's, yeah, we really want to be user-centered and think about UX and meeting user needs. And if that means that the versions are slightly different because of the context and things, then that's what we've got. It makes sense for, for those two different user groups. So I think that was really important like to not start from the assumption that bilingual content will be like for like, because if it is, then it may not be truly user-centered. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there's a, an implication or, or what the process would be if you were doing legal content, for example, where word choices are very, very precise. That would be interesting. That could be yeah. you next. Maybe. But there was, um, I mean, there was some some words and phrasing that were quite, um, that needed to be used. Um, and so sometimes it was just a case of what are the words around those that kind of make the most sense for, for both versions. And actually it kind of raised the question, if, if something can't be translated easily, is the originating language, so in this case, is the English version, the best it could be or is it actually problematic and so that's kind of why we made some changes to the english because like right it can't it doesn't translate very well it's because maybe it's a little bit wordy or it's a little bit clunky or there's some unnecessary words in there all those kind of things i've already mentioned and so yeah it was not just get the second version of the content done it was actually think about the first version of the content with a different lens and different perspective which is just invaluable yeah, because you have two people who are really interested in language there working on something and you've got your user researcher who's interested in how people are understanding something, how people's mental models work, how people are, are, are viewing the world. And so you've got all of these people thinking about words and language and understanding concepts, whereas sometimes you can have a, a situation where you've had a piece of content that's been through a few rounds of amends and someone said oh we've got to say this bit like this and you get things that are veering towards the nonsensical because of reasons we all we've all seen that and so actually to have this experience where everybody is focusing on is this the best way we can say it in two different languages that's actually really incredible one of the interesting things is that it just made me realize that translating content or translation as a process can improve the content. And it's not just the thing that happens at the end. And again, the translator said traditionally, and this, this has also been my experience over the years, all the effort and all the work and all the focus is on the first language. So again, in this case, that would be English on the English version. And then it's like over to the translator. Can you translate this? They often don't get much notice or much time to do it. Or the expectation is that it's going to be perfect first time and there's not that much time to amend it if it's not. And it's just as a process, it's not very empowering and doesn't really involve the translator in, a, in as meaningful a way as it could. And so seeing translation as an opportunity within the workflow and the process to improve the content and not just be a stage that comes so far down the process, the content, the English version is locked in and that's it. Was just, again, a bit of an eye-opener and really made me rethink the value of bringing in translators into the content design process. And I mentioned the translator a lot, the user researcher played a pivotal role uh, in the whole process. And throughout the throughout the trio writing was double checking against kind of the user research interviews and all the notes and, and kind of sense checking things and 
checking things in both languages for us and really played a, an important part there as well. But even if, and we talk about this afterwards, even if the user researcher wasn't part of the trio, it could still be content designer, subject expert and translator. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you could be both writing as the subject matter expert is talking about the thing. I think something worth noting, though, is that whilst I refined the English version of the content in isolation before the trio writing session, between getting the initial round of feedback on the on the first draft and doing the refinement, I actually did have quite a lot of one-on-one sessions with people to get their feedback on the content internally. So not with users, the user researcher, you know, had done that. But I spoke to other content designers and subject experts. And I actually, I shared the content with yourself and you and I had a session as well. So in some ways, you and I did some pair writing and I did some pair writing with subject experts, not to the level of detail that I would normally do it. But, you know, the same thing where I talked through the content and all the meaning and the context and the thinking. And then we went through it and got their feedback throughout. So I actually did do some, I suppose, more traditional pair writing prior to the trio writing, which I think is worth noting that it's not necessarily a case of, you know, it's one or the other. But for us, it certainly worked well in this instance where I kind of went out, did those sessions, came back. And then as a trio, we kind of felt like we had everything in place for the English version to then create the Welsh version. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I suppose you could do it differently as well, couldn't you? Like you just said before, you could have the writer the subject matter expert and the translator who would in that instance not necessarily be translating, they would be writing in the other language um, straight off. But you could also have it that you, as in the content writer and the translator, are doing some pair work together. So like you say, you might have already done some pair writing with a subject matter expert and then you and the translator work together. You might start off right at the beginning, maybe even with the translator and and start creating some content together. Like with all these techniques, you could flex it to the needs that you have and the time. You're absolutely right. And we actually ended up presenting to a bilingual community of practice about the process and um, similar to what we've already covered in this episode. Why did we want to do it and how did we do it and what were the, the outcomes? And we'd had the session on the Monday and we presented on Thursday. So the content hasn't been published and tested and we don't really know the outcomes in that sense. But we shared everything to date. And I think that in itself is kind of um, something worth noting again, that it's really good practice to share things as you go and out in the open, even if things aren't completed or done. I think that's, that's valuable in itself. But we had a really great discussion with the members of that community and the people that joined that, that talk. And there were some questions around like how how does this scale across an organization? And my immediate response when I saw that question in the chat was, oh, that's going to be really hard to scale because it's going to need like you know three people for all the content. And then as other people were kind of talking around that topic, I started to think, actually, I wonder if involving a translator earlier in the process and doing trio writing in this case actually saves time further down the line because you've got both versions of the content given the same amount of kind of care and attention and thought and effort. And so does that save time later in the process? But then it also made me think about what if there are changes to the 
existing content. So like now say we publish this content uh, in both languages and it gets changed. Would we then come together as a trio again to like make those changes? I suppose it would depend on what the change was, et cetera. But it just opens up quite a lot of questions and opportunities as well, though, around continuous collaboration on content in multiple languages, I suppose. And but also on the kind of perhaps more risky or negative side, issues around governance and kind of management of the content as well. I was going to ask you about the difficulties around it. So you mentioned that the governance can be difficult. What about did you did you know the translator before you started the session? Because normally in pair writing, you would meet up beforehand to get to know each other a little bit to, to build a bit of trust and rapport. So. Were there any things like like that that cropped up that you thought, oh, this could this could be tricksy, or or was it plain sailing? It was plain sailing, and we were introduced by email. You know, I'd already worked as a user researcher uh, on every sprint, but the three of us were introduced on email, and then we had a, a session prior to the trio writing where we just jumped on a video call and uh, got introduced on video by the, the the project lead and chatted through. They asked me how I thought the process would work. So I kind of shared that and we just talked through it. And then the user researcher followed up after that call and sent an email to the translator with links to the content, the Welsh and the English content so far, links to the user research outputs on on like a mirror board and, and various other documents and things. And so actually all the all the work we've done to date and and again the kind of rationale and the thinking and the outputs of that was sent to the translators so they had as much information as possible. And so by the time we got to that session on the Monday morning, we'd had very little contact, but we'd had enough to, it was in no way awkward and it was, we just got on with it. And I think part of the reason is we all believed that what we were doing was the right thing for the users and the content. And we all felt like we were bringing value to that process. And the translator said, this is how things should be written. Okay, I've got one last question for you. If you're going to do trio writing again, are there any changes to the way that you've done it? Would you do it again any differently? Or are you happy with the the process? Because it sounds like everyone was really prepared and it sounds like it went really smoothly. But are there any any improvements you think could be made? I would most definitely want to do it again. And I, I can't imagine working on content that needs to be translated into one or more languages in any other way now I've experienced this in terms of what would I do differently only two things spring to mind first is doing trio writing at the very start so not even waiting for have a have draft content and getting that tested actually doing it for the very first time that content's been created I think that's one thing I would be really interested in in trying and then secondly and, and perhaps a less important have a separate session to talk through the content because by the time I went through it all, I'd already been speaking for half an hour and mindful that then we went into like quite an intense, but as enjoyable and great as it was, quite an intense kind of task. So I wonder if maybe separating out those portions of the the process and, and the session would be beneficial. So I would maybe try that again. And we, we were very lucky that the translator got brought into the process, you know, a few sprints in. And that wasn't an, an issue for us at all. It still worked really well. But if they're involved sooner, then they won't actually need to be all that kind of catch-up stuff because they will have been part of the process as the user researcher was along the way. 
So just thinking about that, really, there is an opportunity to bring them in either at the very start or certainly, you know, earlier or as early as possible. Well, it sounds like the process was really, really good. And I want to see you do it again because you were so buzzing when you came out of the session. So, okay, that leads us to our top tip, which has got to come from you this week. Tell us what it is. I think it's if you've got content that needs to be translated or if you've got like two subject experts to work with, then just don't be afraid to trio write. Actually, you know, the top tip really is just to try it and see what happens. I can't imagine that there would be anything bad that could come from it. People like to be involved. It's a really good way of getting people involved whilst making a lot of progress in a short space of time as well. The content will be better for it and the users will be happy. Oh, big statements there. Confident though, confident in it. <laughs> so yeah, just try it. And if it doesn't work, then try something else or don't do it again or try it and learn from it and try it again in a different way and adapt it. As you said, you kind of adapt it to your needs. Yeah, but giving it a go is definitely the top tip. Fantastic. Three really magic number for you this this sprint. Yeah, and I'm so glad that we've made this episode all about that process because it's given me a chance to kind of reflect on it. I actually love talking about it because I think it was so worthwhile doing and it's just been an absolute like pleasure for me to be part of that process with two brilliant people. And so it's been really nice to give it the time to really talk through it and explain it and reflect on it rather than just kind of squeeze it into a smaller segment. Oh, I did some clear writing and it went really well. I'm really pleased that we, we shone a light on it. <laughs> well, thanks for elucidating on it so, so eloquently and uh, yeah, getting us all excited to try trio writing. Thanks, Rob. So. You're more than welcome. Thanks very much. See you again soon, everyone. Hey, just a bit of a plug here for the Crocstyle content community that Rob and I run. It's a free-to-join space for all you lovely people working in content. The community brings people together to share tips, solve problems and chat things through, so no more struggling on your own through tough challenges and lonely afternoons. If you sign up, you'll get our newsletter, invites to our monthly events, plus access to our Slack group, where we ask and answer each other's questions, have a bit of a laugh and obviously share pictures of our pets. It's a lovely supportive space and we'd love to see you in there. Want to join? Of course you do. The sign-up form is on crockstar.com slash community. And of course, if you join, you'll also get access to all the recordings of our past events. We recently had a panel on helping you get a job in content. We had a plain English expert and we've also had a session on translation. So there's something for everyone. See you there soon.